At any given time with Kerning Cultures, we're probably working on five to ten stories at the same time. And sometimes we'll look at a story and realize we can't actually find a place for it in the larger theme of an episode. These stories are misfits, you might say. So today, we thought it'd be fun to make space for two of our favorite misfit stories. Both are about food, but from different sides of the world. The first story comes to us from the streets of New York, and the second is from a farm in Cairo. I'm Hibba Fisher. This is Kerning Cultures, radio documentaries from the Middle East. And one story that always kind of captures my imagination. And you're listening to Kerning Cultures. You know what, I'm just going to handhold my mic, then I can sit up. Our first story um, comes to us from producer Alex Atak. I feel like my, I sound better if I'm sitting up. All right. A few months ago, Hibba was in New York, and she heard about this kind of surprising story about turf wars between halal food carts. We found these stories about mafia-style license monopolies and long-standing rivalries and physical altercations in the streets. So we asked our friend and Kerning Cultures contributor, Jad Khalil, to take a walk around Midtown Manhattan to investigate. The sounds of Times Square. Okay, so I'll do like narration to myself in terms of like where we are. So we're on uh, 6th Ave, also known as the Avenue of the Americas, and west, west 48th Street. And we are looking for halal carts. Jazz spent the afternoon walking around with his friend trying to interview people. I'm doing a story about halal cards for a podcast. I was wondering if you would be up to, to be interviewed. You don't want to? Okay, thanks. Let's see if this guy's up for it. Hi. I'm doing a story about halal cards. I was seeing if you wanted to be interviewed. You don't want to? Okay. Doesn't want to, so we're, we're 0 for 2 now. He said he was talking to his family, which I think it was he was not. Hi. I'm doing a story about halal carts. I wanted to see if you wanted to talk. You don't want to? Oh for three. Eventually, he found this one guy called Muhammad. Are you, were you born in Egypt and you came here? I was born in Egypt. I came over here in 1990. Okay. Yeah. And have you been working in the halal cards for a long time or how long? I work in this business like 15 years. And Muhammad, he said he didn't know anything about turf wars. Actually, it was kind of the opposite. At some point during the interview, another car owner came over asking to borrow some bread. You want now? Yeah. I don't have Muhammad. Yo, I don't have. I don't have. If I have a David to Muhammad, I don't have. I was asking it's kind of hard to hear, but another car owner basically oh. comes over and asks if he had any spare bread. And Muhammad said, I don't, but if I did, I'd give it to you. Inshallah, come tomorrow. What, is it, what does he want? Yeah, I want pita bread. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. It seems like uh, sometimes the, the carts, they, they work together, like they share... So Jad didn't have much luck finding anything about these food truck turf wars that we'd been reading about. But when we were talking this story through amongst the team, our marketing manager, Bella, who lives in New York, she told us about this one particular food cart, Halal Guys. We brought her into the studio to tell us more. Oh my God, I feel so honored. Join us in the studio. <laughs> They're notoriously 
the truck to go to in the city. So like there's a few times where I've gone and after a night out with friends, we'll be like, oh, we have to get halal guys. And you go and then someone will inevitably bump into somebody else who also happens to be there. And it's especially, I guess, also for Egyptians and like Arab people in the city, you will find somebody else there, you know, in line. And the line could easily like if the line, it looks like it's going to be an hour or two. You're like, yeah, that's fine. Like you don't really blink twice. You're like, yeah, we'll stand in this line. It's totally cool. I don't know. It's like you go and you know what you're ordering. It's like you want the chicken and rice platter. You want the white sauce. And if you think you want to like torture yourself, you put the hot sauce on it. Um, you were telling us earlier that when you lived in Virginia, your friends would drive up from Virginia to New York to get food there. Yeah. So they, I mean, like living in New York in college, I'll get a text from my sister saying that she's hopping in a car with her friends and coming up to New York, not to see me, but like because they want halal guys. And they literally, they're not even staying in the city. So it's about like a five hour drive from back home where they are. And then they'll just head back. Can you tell us like what halal guys looks like when you're walking down the street? Um... Well, I think you know it's halal guys because they're only in one intersection in the city. And then you always know because the line is super long and they're a bright yellow truck. So kind of there's always like a knockoff truck around them and you kind of have to take a step back and make sure you're going to the right one because it's so easy to go to the wrong one if you're not paying attention. Have you ever sort of either by mistake or on purpose gone to the sort of impersonator copycat cuts? I feel like I might have made the mistake of walking to one like diagonal from them and then a friend has like corrected me and been like, no, that's not them. Okay. Step away from there. It's not the real deal. When we heard about this, the fake halal guys setting up businesses right opposite the street, this felt like something close to the story we were looking for. So we scheduled an interview with Ahmed, who's one of the founders of Halal Guys. We do hear you. Hi, Alex. So when Ahmed was 16, his dad would split his time between his family in Egypt, where Ahmed lived, and his hot dog cart business in New York City. He came like any other immigrant looking for the American dream, so he barely used to see us. So Ahmed's dad noticed that most New York City cab drivers were Muslim, but there was nowhere on their daily routes in Manhattan that served quick and simple halal food. They were available in Queens, but it was not available in the city. So he changed the business model and started serving halal food instead of hot dogs. He called it the Halal Guys. And they had this distinct look, yellow uniforms and red and yellow umbrellas. It's been like that for the past 28, 29 years. So Ahmed took over the family business and then a couple of years later in 2014, he started to notice this kind of strange thing happening. People were starting food cart businesses in New York City that looked identical to Halal Guys with the same yellow uniforms and red and yellow umbrellas. And the reason they could is because it's difficult to find a lot of clarity on these carts. Like they come and go and they change appearance and location and staff. And most of them don't really have websites. So this was a thing for a while. And then one day Ahmed was walking through Union Square. Close to 14th Street. And he came across this identical cart staffed by guys in identical uniforms. But this time they were calling themselves the Halal Guys of New York. And when I saw that, I was like, okay, what are we going to do about it? It's a cart. It's not really a brick and mortar. And it's actually kind of comical. There was this one street corner where the staff at the real Halal Guys, they'd open up shop at 7pm. But just before that, during the day, there was this fake Halal Guys in almost an identical cart that closed up when the real Halal Guys arrived. So most of the time when this happens, he just ignored it. It doesn't, it doesn't work from the perspective of they're not serving the same food. They're trying to confuse the customers and it doesn't work. They can stay one or two days and just you find them leaving by themselves because they don't make any business. The customers are not coming for them. 
But with these guys using the same name, basically, it was a step too far. Halal guys, like the real Halal guys, decided to sue them. Our uh, consuls uh, informed us that we can, okay, we can go hard on them and file a lawsuit against them and they will take the name out. So I was like, okay, good, let's do it. In 2014, Halal guys, um, the real Halal guys, that is, they sued the copycat Halal guys and they won. The Halal guys of New York, that's the fake one, they stopped using the real name, but there are still Halal carts all over New York City using the red and yellow uniforms and umbrellas. There's not an awful lot they can do about that. Halal guys, meanwhile, has grown from a food cart to an international business empire. They have more than 85 branches around the world, they just open in London, and they're in places like Korea and the Philippines. So this was the closest thing we could find to the Godfather-style Turf Wars thing that we'd imagined. The reality was actually much more mundane than that. There are territorial disputes between cart owners, but mostly they're about stupid things like regulations, or about how close a cart is to the curb, or how far it is away from the subway. So, as it turns out, the New York City Halal Cart War is just a story that nobody really wanted to tell us about, if it even does exist. If you know differently, let us know. So for our second Misfit story, we're moving from chicken to fish. From the streets of New York to a fish farm on the outskirts of Cairo that Hibba visited a few years ago. Turn it on and take what you want. We'll be walking and talking. Does that work for you, though? Or does it sound weird if we're walking and talking? Uh, so can you tell me what's happening in this tape? So this is Ferris Farag, and he is the owner of Bustan Aquaponics. Sorry, we're having a They won't do anything. Are they all wild? Yep which is the first commercial aquaponics farm in Egypt. Aquaponics is a farming system that harvests fish and plants. And Fedus started this farm because he felt like something was broken in the way we make our food. You're right, though. Most people don't know how their food grows or where it comes from or what it should look like or what it should taste like. When we were younger, you had these little Beledi bananas that were only about 10 to 15 centimeters, but they're sweet and delicious. Now you get these 30 centimeter beasts, but they, they don't taste like much. They look pretty and yellow, but they don't, they're tasteless. So in 2011, he came back to Egypt from abroad to start the stand. So I decided to come back and just try to do something that is different and that hopefully a little bit useful for the country as well, for the region. My family's farms, both my mother and my father's side, are originally, you know, a few generations back from the Delta. So we were all farmers, you know, so I don't know. And Ferris, alongside other Egyptian farmers today, they're facing a changing climate that deeply affects how they can grow food. And this begins to address sort of why, we, why I started with the aquaponics thing. I mean, water security and food security are highly correlated to each other here in Egypt in particular. So Fadis and I are walking around his farm where there are rows of olive trees, there's a chicken coop that you can hear, and of course, there's the aquaponics system. So, if you can look in here, it's going to be a bit warm because we covered it up in the winter. Fadis took me inside these huge warehouses, and what you're hearing now is water pumps whirring in the background as we stand over these really big water tanks that are filled with eight tons of fish. 
tilapia from the Nile. And these tanks look like those above-ground swimming pools that you might see in someone's yard. Wait, so, okay, so I know nothing about farming. I know nothing about aquaponics. Okay, the term aquaponics comes from uh, putting together two words. Okay, so can you explain what aquaponics is in the simplest way you can? Um, So you have these huge sort of above-ground swimming pool-like tanks filled with fish. Um, And what happens is fish eat and then they poop. And... um, Actually, there's this misconception that the poop is what ends up feeding the plants. We don't use fish poop. <laughs> okay, we uh, but Fetus corrected me about this. So what happens is they filter out all the solid waste. Um, but the other thing that happens with the fish is as they breathe, they're naturally excreting ammonia. But ammonia is toxic. Um, and so Fetus and Bustan Aquaponics, they'll add these kinds of bacteria into the water to like chemically change the ammonia so it goes from being something toxic to becoming something nutritious which is a nitrate nitrates are the standard building blocks for all vegetation especially leafy greens and the nitrates then get sort of siphoned down through this long tube that snakes from that swimming pool tank into a nearby greenhouse this huge greenhouse that just has rows and rows of these plants that are growing because of the fertilizer that's coming from the fish. Yeah. Now, this much longer greenhouse is where our the hydroponic beds are. This is amazing. <laughs> it's pretty cool, isn't it? And it smells fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it smells natural. You know, this uh, is and it's these rows of leafy greens like lettuce, and there's herbs like parsley and basil. Um, there's even strawberries and chili peppers that are growing here. You guys grow kale? Yeah, we grow three kinds of kale. We have a cur- curly green kale. This is the cavallo nero, Italian kale, and that's purple curly kale. Oh, wow. I just, I mean, this is dumb, but I just realized that there's no soil. And I know you said it was soilless, yeah. but I yep. just realized that it's yep. in this little squishy styrofoam yep. Yep. in the water. How come it doesn't need soil? So the, the plants are suspended in this soilless water. As the plants grow, they'll clean the water, and then that water gets cycled back into the fish tanks in the warehouse, in the warehouse next door. By the time the water comes back to the fish, it has near zero ammonia in it. So it's perfectly good for the fish again. And then the cycle starts again. And then the cycle starts again. With the same water. With the same water. And so Fetus was saying that it's super energy efficient and the amount of waste water that's produced from this is something like 5%. So they're able to to keep 95% of the water that they use, which is a huge deal because you have water scarcity issues, fresh water scarcity issues in Egypt. Um, and so this is a, this is honestly a sustainable farming solution. So how is this kind of like is it, how is this like a solution to um, Egypt's farming problems or Egypt and, and, and Egypt's food problems? So aquaponics is never meant to replace traditional farming completely. As Fed has told me, it's complementary. And actually, Bustan Aquaponics uses land that other farms can't use. It's not like aquaponics needs to take place of another kind of... In fact, you would never build aquaponic systems in arable land, in agricultural areas. And Fed has told me that aquaponics builds off of a very old farming practice. I mean, the concept has been around forever. We've updated it, we've, you know, modernized it a little bit, we've commercialized it a little bit, but it's just a more stable system. Um, 
Food security is a real issue in Egypt. Despite having arable land, things like population growth, bad farming practices over the years, water scarcity as the Nile shrinks, and increasing poverty have made it such that one in five Egyptians, at least, can't eat the food they need. And actually, today in Egypt, more than 50% of basic food staples, things like wheat, for example, are imported, meaning a lot of the basic food is now more expensive than the average Egyptian can afford to pay for. Aquaponics isn't going to solve all these problems, but it might help. Our region, the Middle East, North Africa in general, this is critical for us. This is, I, I believe food security will not be solved by one technology, one farming practice, one company or anything else. The more, the better. You know, let's have many different approaches. The best ones will survive. It's important. It's important for the future. This Misfits episode was produced by Alex Atak with reporting for the Halal Food Cart story by Jad Khalil and production support from Nadine Tedros and Claire Tai. Editorial by Dana Balut, Bala Ibrahim, and myself, Hiba Fisher, with sound design by Alex Atak. The Aquaponics story was produced by Alex Atak and myself with editorial support from Bella and Dana, Zaina Duedor, and sound design by Alex Atak. Bella Ibrahim is also our marketing and brand manager. In two weeks, on Kerning Cultures, we'll be airing a story in Arabic. It's about Noor, a young girl from Mosul navigating a new normal after losing her eyesight at 16. حاول نطلع من موصل بوقتها بس ما قدرنا يعني إنه تنظيم داعش ما كان يخلي أحد يطلع من الموصل من ذاك الوقت إلى حد الآن أنا فقط البصر. That's in two weeks. In the meantime, you can find us on social at Kerning Cultures. Thanks for listening.